Hey, patrons, this is an ad-free episode, an early ad-free episode. Uh, and these come to $5 and up patrons uh, uh, like uh, twice a week. And, uh, you know, think about how much you consume the podcast. Like I say on the regular show, say, what you say, listen to uh, 10 episodes a month. Consider paying uh, 50 cents an episode, uh, $5 a month. If I can just get one out of 10 people uh, to, to go from $1 a month to $5 a month, it'll be a huge, huge impact on the show. But only if you're in a position to do so. Uh, thanks so much. And now with the show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and friends beyond the binary. Uh, it's getting lulled in here, so let me take the things off your mind. I am getting so sleepy. I'm going to put you to sleep. It's time for sleep with me, patrons. Uh, thanks for supporting the show. Uh, hey, are you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep? Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to attempt to do is create a safe place where you could set aside whatever is keeping you awake. Uh, thoughts feelings, uh, physical sensations, uh, changes in schedule or time, uh, temperature, weather, you know, all those things. Whatever's keeping you up, I'd like to uh, keep you company, bring you in here, say, hey, come on in. It's a welcome uh, place where I'm going to try to teach you, to, to treat you with uh, kindness. No teaching here. Oh, boy, I don't know where that slip came from. I mean, I could teach you about this safe place. It's open. Uh, you'll be treated with dignity and respect. I mean, I'll do my best to keep you company and to take your mind off of stuff. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to send my voice across the deep, dark night. I'm going to use lulling, soothing, creaky, dulcet tones, pointless meanders, superfluous tangents. I'm going to go off the topic. Extra word filler, oh boy. They see he's the only person that puts filler in his word filler. I mean, I, be, I get contacted by the multinationals every once in a while from different things where they say, huh, how does he do that? Uh, how do you get so much filler in, in a, just a 12-minute intro? And I say, what, what do you, what do you, I said, you, don't you make like an orange-flavored drink? What do you need filler for? Isn't water... Uh, and they see it's just tough to, you know, believe me, we get it. And I say, remember when fundraisers, we used to have a different, that was all filler. It didn't have any flavor. They simply called it orange drink. They think that whole idea behind that uh, was to sell more tang. Because you say, whoa, boy, this is not tang. Tang tastes a thousand times better. Uh, it just, so I don't think they could come after me for that. But we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. If you're new, welcome. Here's a few things. I'm glad you're here. Now, this podcast isn't for everybody, but for most people that it works for, it takes a few tries because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Of course, you're skeptical. Naturally, I'm, I'm going to try to put you to sleep and you say, wait, how are you going to do it? And I say, mostly be myself self and, you know, mess around, work really hard at uh, uh, keeping you company. I'm going to be here. That's really what, what it is uh, with my best intentions because I've been there in the deep, dark night. But give it a few tries. Uh, try to passively consume the podcast at first if you can and, and like observe it, uh, but in a loose way and see how it goes. Uh, but I'm here to help. Uh, no pressure. And those are the other things. No pressure to listen. No pressure to fall asleep. Uh, the shows are an hour. So you don't have to listen to them or feel like, holy cow, this thing better work fast. Uh, no, it's here for an hour. You could queue up and listen to 300 shows right in a row if you need to. You know, so if you're on some cosmic journey, uh, but first of all, like you would be probably, you know, maybe you're a, you know, you're, you've been on a journey. Maybe you have Tang on board. So my Tang jokes would actually make sense to you. I hope that's what that stuff is called. Uh, but maybe I'll just go to the store in a little while. See, do you have, like, the store brand version of that, though? I'll compare prices. Don't worry. No, don't worry, corporate headquarters. I'm not really comparing prices. 
Okay, where was I? I was at the new listener. So no pressure to listen and no pressure to fall asleep. I'm going to be here about an hour to keep you company. You drift off when you feel like it. See if it works. Play another episode. Uh, see how it goes. Structurally, what to expect if you're new. The show starts off with a few minutes of business. That's how we keep the podcast free and going and support a lot of the work that goes into it. Then there's an intro, which we're probably like close to halfway through. The intros are usually around 12 minutes of me trying to introduce the, what the podcast is to a new listener. But what I've found is it becomes it's become a show within a show that also serves a dual, dual purpose. One, uh, hopefully it makes you feel welcome if you're new. Uh, but it also, if you're regular, so you say, oh, yeah, this is my familiar safe place. A little bit different, though. Every intro is different because I know Scoots is going to be there uh, helping, not dialing it in, not replaying, saying, from the stacks of pillows and the wax of uh, dreams, uh, here's the Sleep With Me podcast. Uh, uh, I mean, I could do that. I don't think any sleep podcast has done that, but it maybe, you know, maybe one day. Maybe on a planet, you know, the over-caffeinated planet, they say, well, that works for us. Okay, where was I? Oh, don't have to listen. No pressure to fall asleep. I'll be here for about an hour. Oh, structure. So the intros, uh, a lot of people, what they do is they start it up and they get ready for bed. It's part of their bedtime routine. Uh, Some people skip the intro. Uh, Some people fall asleep during the intro. Uh, So those are ways to listen. A lot of people now listen during the day. Because they say, hey, I need a little break. Some people don't like to listen during the day. They like the Pavlovian thing. That's cool. Because most of those people support the show. And then the people that listen during the day support the show, too. Because they say, hey, I need, when I need a break during the day, I also listen to Scoots. When I need a friend, to, we all know what the deep, dark day looks like. You know, holy man. You say, put that in a spreadsheet, Dean. Uh, <laughs> Speak just became like a, a 80s movie somehow. But okay, speaking of 80s movies, that's what we'll be talking about tonight is uh, a tale of the tape from a seasonal movie, uh, which I still figure out how I'm going to talk about it or even the title of it. Oh, I guess, yeah, Dustbusters is the name of the movie. It's a great one. I guess I'll have to put a space or another word. I think Dustbuster is the name of that company. I talked about it on a recent intro. Uh, when I was talking about my breakdancing names. Um, oh, so structure show. So then, so we'll have an intro. It, then we'll have a, where I talk about indirectly what I can remember about the plot of the movie Dustbusters, the original one. Uh, maybe at some point I'll do, do the remake, which is a beloved, beloved remake with some uh, actresses I, I find uh, very inspirational and look up to so uh and i think thor was in it also and he's really great uh so okay, okay but this is about the 80s version uh, so so there'll be uh intro then a little business and then we'll talk about dustbusters and the stay puff marshmallow person they don't even need to be changed and then we end the show with some thank yous and some good nights uh and this is the part of the intro where I try to make a metaphor for what the podcast is based on what was distracting me earlier, which was Tang. And you can still buy this thing, this stuff. It's a powdered vitamin C flavored orange drink, I believe. I think the concept was it was like powdered orange juice. And I don't know if it came out in one of the big WWs or it was just a product of like, hey, this is the future. I don't think it's like freeze dry. I don't know if there's actually any orange in there I, other than, you know, orange coloring and orange flavoring. I did go through a per- period where I drank a lot of this when I was in school, when I was in college, because they said I got to get my vitamins. Uh, and also when you're in a dorm room, you can drink, you know, you can really only make ramen, you know, when you have one of those kettle things that you plug into the wall. I guess you don't use that for Tang, but those are the other beverages other than the ones I drank too much of. Uh, but, like, uh, Tang was one of the things I would drink. I'd say, oh, let me have a little Tang. Let me have some room temperature Tang. 
that'll that'll slag this thir- slake this thirst. Uh, and my body was like, oh boy, I get it. my body's always been. Like, I get it. How many years I got with you? Yeah, but so Tang is like an orange flavored drink. What I was referring to when I was complimenting Tang, by the way, uh, uh, multinational. Uh, I was saying that before that, and I guess this is another company. Usually, Burger King, in my experience, would furnish this, especially if it was like a seasonal dance in a grammar school or a roller skating party, or some sort of fundraiser, there was usually not very many beverages available because this was pre, the pre-heyday of soda, like uh, where you wouldn't give kids, kids didn't get, only got to drink soda on special occasions. And so usually you drink, maybe, or maybe it was just uh, like, this is just what I drink, but they would have coffee and orange drink. And orange drink came in this big tub labeled with a BK, like a big uh, uh, thermos thing with a spout. You know, you press the button like you see at sporting events and golf courses and things. And it was a drink that was like, if water could be more, it was like watered down water with some sort of sprinkling. Like if it was like, a, if normal uh, a thing of Tang is like one tablespoon to 12 ounces of water. And if you're familiar with Tang, or orange juice, it would be another thing. This would be like one tablespoon of tang to 30 gallons of water, or like a, a tablespoon of orange juice mixed with like a 10 gallons of water. And I'm not kidding. They would serve this. They would probably sell, sell it for like 25, 50 cents, maybe 10 cents. That's what it's probably worth. And it was called orange drink. They didn't even bother. They said, well, what do you, would you like some orange drink? It was, this was, I guess when people say there were simpler times, they were simpler, but I think they were simpler for a reason. You say, really, you became creative enough to make a silly podcast and you lived in a time where there was orange drink and you didn't, I mean, maybe I did do a routine back. What are you selling orange drink? Can you think of something more snazzy for it? Uh, hey, teach, uh, why don't you a little put, you know, the orange drink or something. The orange drink, what is it? Question mark. Mostly water, like, uh, with, okay, I think I got, I got at the end of my orange drink material. Uh, but orange drink was, it was similar to Tang. I guess that's my whole point. And this is kind of like similar. Like, if there was, a, there's like brand name podcasts, right? You know, you got Criminal, you got 99PI, you got Night Vale. You got Lore, you, you got MFM, you got Radio Lab. You know, you got you got all these brand. You know, you see it was cereal. You know, you got them all and more. Of course, so the other ones, the other great ones that I'm forgetting. Uh, but then you say, well, what if you took that and watered it down? You say, well, that's one part uh, twist. Uh, you know, one part plot point, you know, you got emotion, you know, emotional journey in there. You got witticisms and witty stuff, uh, twisted turns, sound design, you know, thoughtful questions, interviews, you know, window into the human condition. Those are, these are a few of the things that might make up some of those shows, uh, you know, observations on the, did I say observe windows, observations, uh, you know, funny people. You say, okay, well, those are all one, you know, whatever. They, they, some of their parts are they're greater than their holes. Uh, now, this one is mostly holes and uh, watered-down orange drink. That's what this podcast, uh, because then you say, well, I don't, you know, a thimble, whatever they used to sell it for 50 cents, it was in like a Dixie cup. That was for another intro. They, they used to convince people, they'd say, hey, you need these shot, these paper shot-sized cups for your bathroom. That's what all, you know, are you an aspirational middle-class person in the U.S.? Then you need these cups for your restroom. They're going to show that you're ready for the big time. They're called Dixie Cups. And uh, I'm bringing some people back, I think. Uh, But that's what you would do. You'd say, well, that's enough. A Dixie Cup of orange drink, that's enough for me. I don't think it was ever said, I mean, unless you're really thirsty, like you were really doing some roller skating at the roller skating party, or you'd say, holy cow, I got to get another orange drink. I'm like, uh, I'm thirsty here. They'd say, okay, let us, it's just, it's just reached room temperature. So here you go. And this podcast is a bit like that, uh, I think. 
It's watered down, but it's a familiar flavor. It's based in and inspired by something you love. And it's here for you, not to drink uh, or consume, uh, but to be here as you drift off, to slake uh, those thoughts that are keeping you awake, to say, hey, well, you could listen to Scoots. And some of you, like uh, across the globe and across the time spectrum of ages, will be like, what in the, t- what's a tang? And what's a, right, like, a, like, what's an orange drink? Also, Scoots, that was called tong, just to, just so you know. And daisy cups. Of course, I was referring to daisy cups and tong the whole time, not those other things I accidentally said. That was totally a mix up. Whatever other words I may have accidentally used in this podcast. Uh, but anyway, I'm here to help. I'm here to keep you company to barely make you smile. Just like when you're spilling an orange drink, that probably would be, you'd say. You wouldn't barely smile, but you'd say, this barely tastes like orange. It's a drink that's kind of orange. Anyway, I'm here to help. Uh, I work very hard because I strive and I yearn to help you fall asleep. Thank you again for coming by. And here's a couple of ways we keep this show going. All right, so we're doing another Tale of the Tape episode. This will be like a 50% Tale of the Tape, I think, and then 50% um, like uh, maybe some facts and stuff, uh, some lists I looked up related to this movie. And this is a movie that came out in 1984, so I did not see it in the movie theater. I was not uh, of age to see movies in the movie theater at all. Especially this. I don't know what it was rated. Uh, and it was released, it was a strange thing for a movie. It's released under a few different titles, depending where, even like, it, and some people say, well, Scoots, this might be just memory. You're misremembering. Uh, but the two titles I remember, the most famous one that I identify with is it was a 1984 movie called Dustbusters with an ass. Uh, and I think there was like, they said, well, this isn't a branding thing. I don't know if the, the product came after it, but that was just a dust buster, uh, which I talked about. There was also another copyrighted name. So this is probably why I didn't catch it. It was called Casper Catchers. And uh, the, the, there may have been a third title that I'm not remembering clearly, but the one I remember the most is Dustbusters. And it was it had a famous title song, Dustbusters, by Ray Parker Jr., uh, which was a, a hit, which we'll look into that later. Uh, and uh, so so also associated, it had a cool, no, okay, so what's a Dustbuster? Well, this is like a movie that almost invented it, or it was like a, something considered fringe. It's a comedy, 1984 comedy. Oh, and this is a tale of the tape episode, this part. So I'll try to remember the movie plot and talk about my personal experience with it. And then I'll, yeah, then we'll get into some facts. Uh, so uh, let's see. So I remember the movie because it was very well marketed. I don't remember if it was a summer or winter movie, though I'm guessing it was a summer movie. And I'm pretty sure it was a gigantic hit and it swept, it swept the nation with a, uh, you know, the people singing the song, Dust Busters. I was probably first exposed to it through the the music video for the song Dust Busters. Uh, and then there was another kind of pop song towards the end of the movie, uh, which I'm not remembering now. And I don't know if that pop song was in other movies. Uh, so this, was a, this is a movie, and it starts off, it's the tale of... Uh, uh, three friends who become dust, but who invent, uh, and I'm saying that, and you know, it's a fictional movie, invent the concept of dust busting. And not like in a, you'll, it'll make all sense. You see, well, this isn't that a cleaner. No, no, no. We're talking about something much more. But, but first, let's get the kind con- so it's a, I guess it's a high concept comedy, uh, but it's, it features a Ray Egon who, who, uh, in the third person, uh, Ray Stance, Egon, and uh, Mike, no, I don't know, Bill Murray, but I don't know Bill Murray's character off the top of my head. I'll think of it. Vankman, Peter Vankman, thank you, brain. That was my index finger that I was squeezing that out of it. I'm not kidding, I said, not hard. I say, well, let me put a little pressure on my index finger. My middle finger, 
uh, Ray stance, uh, and my uh, ring finger says Egon. And then later, uh, they would have another character who, uh, who joins them. But it starts off with the three of them. Initially, I believe the first character we get introduced to is Bill Murray's character, who. Well, maybe I should talk about my personal relationship with the movie first. Uh, but the movie starts off with who is it? Ray Stance. I forgot his name already. Peter Venkman. I think that's who it starts off with. But so I don't. I didn't see this movie in the theater. Maybe I saw it in 1986 or 80. Probably in 86. Whenever it came out on um. Uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, what's that thing called? HBO. I may have seen the sequel in the movie theater, but even that, I can't be sure. I probably did. And, uh, um, and it was just remade, I think a few years ago now, 86, uh, there was a remake of Dustbusters, uh, but, but so one day we'll talk about that, but this is like a tale of the tape to try to get me back into, what do I remember? So I remember seeing it and being delighted. It's a delightful movie. And, uh, yeah, so I guess that's my basic, I'm sure I saw it in HBO. That would have been the only way I would have seen it. And as we'll see, 1984 was like a very good year, uh, for popular things, at least in my opinion, I guess, because I was too young to consume a lot of this stuff. Uh, it was stuff that I thought was cool. Uh, okay, so Dustbusters, it starts off with, uh, uh, what's his name again? Peter Venkman, I believe. And he's not exactly the most sympathetic hero. And especially through today's lens, you'd say he's kind of, uh, uh, a, 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 like a jerk, I'd say. Uh, but he's like giving, he's working in some sort of, uh, uh college or university. And he's he's testing out uh, his concepts of uh, sentient dust motes and sympathetic vibrations and stuff. So he's giving these two college students, one of whom would be in a 19, I believe she would be in a 1984 uh, film, The Karate Kid. Yeah, but not important right now. But um, I think, it, but so... He's giving these two students these tests about, uh, like parasympathetic, I think, parasympathetic, uh, vibrations, parapsychology, I think, is one of his degrees. And he's also kind of just like, you say, well, I'm not sure about this, uh, uh Peter Venkman. He's kind of like a, a bit of a, I don't know, you say, hmm, I'm not so sure about him. Uh, then at some point, uh, Ray Stance, oh, he's played by uh, Bill Murray. And he is like a bit of a wiseacre, wisecracker, a trickster hero, I would say. Then Ray Stance comes in, and uh, Ray is, uh, he kind of plays his character two different ways. For the most part, Ray's kind of like a bit uh, not as uh, on the ball as Peter Venkman, like a bit childish, a bit like Scoots. uh, But every once in a while, you kind of get insight to a deeper at least in the comedy uh, side of him. And he's played by Dan Aykroyd. And he comes in, and I think he says uh, big news. He says something like big news. I got big news. Uh, either they got a grant or uh, they got a, uh, oh, no, I think they got to go to the library. I think this, is this that early? They say He says we got to go down to the library. Egan's got us a uh, sentient dust mode. So then even if you did, so if you went into the movie and you didn't know the title, it might even have been more enjoyable or if you didn't know anything about it, because you'd say, wait a second, there's sentient dust motes. Uh, I thought that was just a fringe theory uh, I put forth on one episode of Sleep With Me podcast. And I'd say, no, 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 this is a, like a wide ranging fringe theory. So you say there's these, what a better place that would have a lot of dust modes. Oh, it takes place in New York City. So this is at the main branch of the New York Public Library, which is featured prominently throughout the movie, New York City. And it's probably one of the reasons I moved there, because it's portrayed in a, a grand scale fashion and is kind of a character in the movie, like a, not a huge, like, yeah, a bit of a character in the movie. 
Uh, but so they head to the library uh, where Egon's waiting, and, and Egon's like uh, listening to a table or something because he say, "Well, what places more places filled with dust motes than portions of a library?" And they say these these, these dust motes have gone sentient and are behaving even anthropomorphic, even. And just like you think, most people say this idea is ridiculous. Uh, but these three are into it, or at least uh, Ray and uh, Egon are into it, and Peter's kind of their friend, and a little bit of a, like a capitalizing, I mean, in, a, in an indirect way. Though I think he believes in it because he's studying these parasympathetic vibrations. Uh, so they go down to uh, where they go to the library. They start looking in. One of the librarians has seen an anthrop, like a, a sentient, uh, like a dust mode in a human, taking human form to try to communicate. And she says, holy cow, it gave me you know, the sneezes. Uh, and they say, whole full, she said, well, it was floating. You know, it was a dust mode. And they say, well, that's what dust modes do best is float or, or drift. So they go down there, and you see, okay, this is an investigative movie, maybe. So they're investigating the sentient dust motes, which leaves residues and things, as dust motes do, especially as it becomes more concentrated. Then they encounter the dust motes. They get the sneezes, so they say, it's so sneezy, we got to get out of here. And I'm pretty sure, like, after that, so we see, okay... We've seen, not just through their eyes, but through our own eyes, the, the sentience of dust modes. We've also seen through other characters' eyes. And then we go back to university, and they're fired, I think, is the next thing that happens. is uh, They say, the university says, you lost your grants, you're all fired. You're, like, this is a fringe theory. Uh, there is no dust mo- you know, there is no sentient dust modes. And I think, let's see, after that, uh, I, I like, uh, I think there's like a scene with uh, Ray and uh, Peter talking, and, and right after they get fired, what are we going to do? And Peter's like, well, we got, the world's our oyster now. It's going to be okay. But Ray, you know, Peter's been an academic his whole life where Ray's like, I've worked in the real world. It's not for me. And at some point, Peter comes up with the idea. I think I don't know if it's right here. There's a lot of well done montages in this movie. Uh, but so at some point, they come up with. It, he says, "Okay, what about dust busting?" And, and they say, "Like uh, we could do this as a job or something like that. As a business, we could make money." I think it's when the idea of making money uh, they initially uh, uh, gets uh, Peter Peter Bankman's attention. And Ray and Egon are in it for the, the love of uh, of uh, just the conceptually exploring the idea of sentient dust motes. And that there's a variety of them because there's a variety of dust. There's a variety of moting. There's emoting. There's demoting. You know, there's floating. And so then I think starts, a, I don't know if it's a musical montage. Maybe it's just a series of shots or quick scenes. They borrow the money, third mortgage on Ray's house. They uh, rent a fire, old firehouse. Uh, this is in 1980s New York, so it's a little bit more like a p- pictured in a run-down way. The firehouse. We see more of uh, Ray's childhood uh, tendencies. They rent a uh, an old-fashioned ambulance uh, to uh, use to catch. To, to get, then they're getting their equipment, uh, their uniforms. Uh, in that thing, in those series of shots. Then they're running a television commercial. Uh, they're hiring Annie Potts. I'm not sure Annie Potts' is character, or if I'll remember it. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, they, they say, okay, then they get their first job. You think this is how it happens. Now, meanwhile, somewhere interspersed in here is Sigourney Weaver's character and Rick Moranis' character. Two unrelated, for now, New Yorkers. Uh, Rick Moranis' character is an accountant who lives on the same floor in the same apartment building as Sigourney Weaver's character, who is a cellist in, a, in a, 
I guess the New York Philharmonic, because we see shots at Lincoln Center. And I, I think she's a cellist. She could be a bassist in a jazz band. You know, she could just be a busker, but I think she's a cellist in the Philharmonic. And what are those characters' names? That's a great question. Uh, Dana and uh, Lewis, I think, yeah. Uh, so, and you see Rick, Rick, Rick Moranis' character. He's an interesting, it's a really well portrayed because it has some nuance to it. Because he's kind of a little, a little bit geeky, but he's terribly outgoing. And I mean, in a positive way, terribly positively outgoing. Like having parties, uh, talking to Dana. I think there may be a crush there. Like he may have a crush on her, but it's not portrayed in a, like a, like a sloppy way. It's like, oh, maybe he's just super friendly. And she seems to be more introverted. I mean, that could be one way to read it. It's just he's an extrovert, she's an introvert, and he's always trying to get her to hang. I think that is more it, because it didn't really have the flavor of romance to me. And she's like, you know what, I just want to go in my apartment and, and hang, you know, hang with myself. And she actually sees the ad for the Dustbusters uh, at some point, uh, and, okay, so that's one, uh, uh, whatever, B-plot or whatever. It's not because it intersects pretty quick. But then we also see that they're not getting any jobs. They're running out of cash. Andy Potts is fed up with them. And then they get their first big job at a fancy hotel in New York. I'm not sure if it was a plaza or what, but an old money New York hotel where they go and they go, not only do we have a, you know, a, a giant dust moat to bust, uh, but it's one that's like picked up, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's got like a goo, it's a goopy one. So they say, don't worry about it. We're, we're going to bust this dust. Uh, you know, back off, man. I'm a dust buster. I think they say back off. I'm a scientist. Uh, there was license plates you could get in Lucky Charms or uh, Sugar Smacks. That said, back off me, man. I'm a dust buster. But so, uh, what happens? Uh, so they, uh, what happens next? Uh, oh, they bust this dust. Uh, the sl- Slimer, it becomes the nickname of this one. And this character would become a uh, main character in their cartoon and in the toys. Like a small part, but really, whoever, whatever actor was portraying this uh, slimy dust mode. In really advanced uh, special effects, because uh, it looked real. You see, that looks like real slimy dust mode, uh, personified even. They end up like making a big mess at this hotel, but they get it done. And at first, the hotel doesn't want to pay. They say, hey, we can leave the dust behind, man. It's sentient, by the way. They say, no. So we see that they kind of catch the dust in these electronic Dutch dust catchers. We also get exposition that, uh, they have these giant dust collecting beams, like laser pro- proton packs on their backs. Uh, that's from uh, Ghostbusters 2. That's a Bobby Brown song. Uh, but they still did have pro- proton packs on their backs uh, to bust the dust. Like, I think that maybe I don't know if it's like ionization or magnetization. I don't know of that stuff. But uh, so they do do that. Uh, Oh, but, whoa, so Egan says when they're first using, this is the first time they're using their equipment. He says, don't cross the streams, because if you do, it'll reverse uh, all, you'll be de-atomized. So whatever you do, don't do that. And they say, okay. And he says, remember that for the rest of the movie. They say, got it. Uh, Bust the dust, but don't cross the streams. Uh, but soon then they end up getting uh, that dust busted or whatever. They they clear out the hotel. They go back. Uh, they lie. They, they like uh, they they have a place to store the sentient dust motes. The ethics of that is never discussed. But since I watched that, a good place. I was like, huh? Ethically, uh, what is what is it? You know, wh- wh- whom do we owe? Uh, I would say. Uh, but, you know, they, that doesn't come up. But so what else? Uh, so there's that. Uh, okay. Now I'm, I'm uh, oh, no, then there's Sigourney Weaver's character, Dana, right? Uh, she goes home from shopping, and she realizes, like, uh, that there's hints of a dust moat in her apartment. There's strange things, you know, dust residue, 
uh, dust whispers is another thing. When they say dust on the wind and they sang that song, they meant it. That was probably about the whole, you know, uh, the dust mote thing. But they, she she thinks, is there dust in my apartment, dust motes or sentient dust motes becoming personified? And she's kind of skeptical, but this is like barely to be denied. Because she opens her fridge in this dust mode is like doing some routine about the gozers uh, and saying, do you know the gozers uh, from Fraggle Rock? Uh, they're coming. Like we want to, we're going to work with the gozers. They're construct, they're going to construct a world for dust motes uh, to live. Uh, and she says, well, that's strong. That is strange. I better call these dust busters. And actually she goes in because then we see kind of Ray or, uh, this is right when they need, they're like, oh boy, we're out of money or whatever. Uh, maybe it was after the first success, but whatever. She goes in, she meets Peter. He goes back, looks into it, but we kind of say, Peter, man, what are you doing? Uh, you're supposed to be dust and bust and not uh, being irritating to your customers. Uh, and uh, so then uh, what happens after that? Then there's a montage, I think. Uh, of the the going up, the story of the, the Dustbusters, uh, success after success after success, and that they keep getting more and more successful. But it does come at a cost. They get tired, and so then at some point they hire Winston, or played by delightful, played by Ernie Hudson uh, Jr. I believe, and they hire Winston. But they're still successful, but they're getting a little haggard. And we start to get this idea that the dust activity is increasing. And uh, I think that's, let's see, I'm trying to think what, what happens next. Uh, if there's like a train, tran, like, so they're on their high point, right? Uh, and I know what comes when they, they crest and they start to go down, but I'm trying to think if there's anyone, uh, you know, they get, they're on all the magazine covers, including Omni which was this cool science magazine I always dreamed of subscribing to. A bit like Wired, uh, but before Wired. Um, I wonder if they could get back issues of that somewhere. Um, but so, let's see. I'm trying to think. So there's the montage. There's even Casey Kasem doing countdowns. Oh, we see that uh, Dana had kind of left things, like after Peter was kind of like... Uh, not super professional. She was like, you know what? I'll figure out my dust on my own. She goes, I remained skeptical or that it was a one-time, you know, vent or it was my imagination that it was the dust motes. Yeah. So then I guess there's two things that happen at the same time. The, the dust activity is obviously going up and uh, the ghosts, the dust busters are kind of put to their uh, limit. And then... Uh, bureaucracy gets in the way. In this case, it's the form of the EPA who says uh, this character, uh, I don't know what his name is, uh, Mr. Jerk will say. He says, uh, hey, uh, first he goes in with Peter. Peter challenges him. He says uh, he's not very, he doesn't have good social skills. So he says, I'd like to see, you know, him and Peter go back and forth. And Peter tricksters him, but in a way that leaves a bad taste in his mouth. He says, I need to know what you're doing, how you're storing the dust and the moats. And also he represents the skeptical viewpoint that dust would be just, people could clean their own dust. There's no such thing as sentient dust moats. That's silly. Just with dust moats blowing around and people projecting meaning onto them. So uh, what happens uh uh, there must be something in between. There's like, uh, you get to see a little bit of growth in Winston, Ernie Hudson, and him becoming part of the team, and more and more work, and Ray looking cool, and Egon looking uh, concerned. Yeah, then there's one more scene where, uh, okay, yeah, then there's another scene where uh, uh, Ray... No, who's that? P Peter kind of makes one more. He says, uh, goes to Dana's work, uh, waits for her when she gets done with practice. He's dancing around in Lincoln Center while other people are roller skating. And he says, come on, like, uh, maybe, he goes, maybe, what, like, uh, 
let's hang Netflix. You know, remember when there was Netflix and chill were a thing? That'll be in, he goes, in 20, 20 years, actually, 20, 2014 or 30 years, whatever. How many ever many years? He says, uh, why not do it now? And she says, well, okay. So she says, maybe later. Uh, I feel like I'm missing one other segment. Uh, but we see then he goes to visit her. The EPA comes and they shut down the power for the dust containment which causes the dust to shoot all over New York City, sentient dust, moat dust. And not just dust, obviously. Other things gather than the dust. So some of the parts are greater than the whole. And that shoots all over New York. Uh, and then at the same time, I think tr- that's a trigger, a triggering event. Uh, Dana, she gets, she like inhales this dust to dust motes and she like kind of, uh, becomes a medium for dust mode communication, uh, as does Lewis. Uh, he kind of runs around uh, trying to get away, and he's, finally he gets uh, he gets, gets breezed in the dust, and he becomes uh, the key master and the lock, locksmith or something. I can't remember. I think he's the key master. He gets brought to Ghostbusters headquarters, I think before the EPA came. And they say, this is weird. We've never seen this. He's a, he's like a medium for communication of dust modes. Uh, Egon does this. He says, something big's coming. A lot of comedy in here, too. <laughs> you know, obviously, it's not coming across. Uh, so we kind of see these pieces of the puzzle of the mystery being unpacked, too. And Ray's trying to understand what what is it with the building. Then we see that Dana's also become a medium for dust moting. And he says she's the uh, locksmith. And they say, oh, we've got the key master here. So they say, okay, and they live in the same building. So they say, okay, wait a second. This is starting to make sense. Uh, that's when the EPA shows up. Then all the dust goes over all over the city. And this kind of slowly leads, you know, the cards start to fall. Like, uh, then all of the, there's a montage of the reverse of the uh, Dustbusters saving the city from uh, sentient dust motes. And we see sentient dust motes, including Slimer and other ones, running around having a great time in a way that's undeniable, that it's, like, uh, real. Then we have... Uh, uh, the the dustbusters themselves are uh, they get a timeout with serious timeout, and but they're still trying to solve the puzzle. They're still on the du- they're still busting dust. So you have a cute scene where they're uh, go- trying to unpack the last phases of the mystery, and then uh, they get called to the mayor's office, and there's uh, an extra scene. I guess kind of makes sense to say that this is undeniable. You got the mayor's advisors, you got the cardinal or the bishop or something, and everybody's saying, "What is happening?" There's dust. There's sentient dust motes everywhere, impersonified in anthropomorphic forms, and other things. Uh, they say this is a uh, not, and he said the mayor says to them, "Can you do something about it?" And they say, "Of course we can. We bust the dust. You just got to bust the EPA off our backs." And the mayor says, well, I'm not sure. And then Peter, who is the kind of salesperson, says, uh, if we don't succeed, it doesn't matter. But if we do, mayor, you're the hero. And I don't know who played the mayor, but when I first saw the movie, I was positive it was the real mayor of New York City. Now, looking back, I think it was just an actor. Uh, Because probably that might have been, I don't know if that was when Ed Koch was running uh, in New York a little bit before. Uh, so then we have the final sequence. In this one, it starts off with this victory sequence in a good way. In a really way, the 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 the, the, the bookends of this sequence are delightful. I can't imagine shooting them. They're all on location in New York with tons and tons of extras. And it's New York celebrating New York and other New Yorkers succeeding and saving New York from sentient dust. So the Ghostbusters are greeted to a hero's welcome as they go back to Dana and Lewis's building, which is where the Gozers are going to come, or the Dozers or whatever. And if I, well, because the mystery they uncover is that uh, the sentient dust modes are working with the Dozers from a show called, uh, which are these little construction characters 
from a show called Fraggle Rock. And they they build stuff, and they've dustmotes and the dozers are going to build a world on top of our world for dustmotes and dozers to live. It wouldn't li- leave a lot for us humans, you know. And I can't. Oh, Zool's the one in charge of all this, I think. Because uh, uh, and then also there's a sequence that shows before all this happened, uh, the keymaster and the locksmith uh, joining powers to open the doors for Zool. Who fully Zool's like the the foreman of the dozers, I guess. Uh, fully embodies Dana. Uh, so that happens. Uh, so then, oh, then the Ghostbusters shove. They say, okay, we're gonna dust some bust here. Then as they're about to go in the building, there's like a rock and roll thing, and we think that oh, the, are the Dustbusters lost? But no, it's just a little playing. And then the ch- crowd's cheering them on. Uh, then they go up to the top of the building and they they have to go up the stairs. So, so it's really like uh, slowly fed out to us in a good way. And they face off with uh, the the do uh, with Zool, who's a Sigourney Weaver, I think. Uh, and they say, uh, "Oh, you know, the dozers are coming. That's it. It's, you're going to lose." And they say, "We're going to bust some dust." Uh, so they have like a little bit of a duel with the dust busting and her her jumping and flipping around. And they're not really effective at stopping. And then uh, the dozer, uh, Zool says, uh, choose uh, how the dozers are going to come take everything over. What What is going to be the uh, the one that does the leveling of the earth, you know, of the human stuff so we can build the dozer world on top of it. And they say, you could, whatever you think of. And then they say, Peter's like, clear your minds and we'll be fine. But Ray thinks of something and then they play it out for comedy. And it's the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, a bit like the Pillsbury Doughboy. But like a 30-foot marshmallow man starts walking through New York, stepping on stuff. It goes to get the Dustbusters. They go, you know, back and forth. And they, they say, all is lost. You know, this is the part of the movie. Where heroes rise, they say there's no way to, to stop this, the bust this dust. Uh, it's become a marshmallow person. They have powers greater than dust, uh, sympathetic vibrations, the whole nine yards, and the dozers. And they say, well, what's the only thing we could do that would be where we, you know, we're the heroes? Uh, what's the riskiest move we can make? Across the streams, all four of us. Uh, That'll reverse the polarity and magnetize the dust, and the dust will all just drop to the ground, probably, and we could just vacuum it up, or won't work out. Either way, we're probably, you know, it's not going to work out for us, but we're heroes. Uh, bada bing, bada boom, they do it, uh, and it works. Uh, all the dust gets, you know, kicked up and then drops down with, like, a whatever ionic charge or whatever, how those things work. Pre HEPA filter this time. And uh, they're heroes. First, you say, well, are they all right? Where's Dana? Where's Lewis? Everybody's okay. Then they go downstairs to another, the bookend, another hero's welcome. All the New Yorkers cheering. Really looked like all the actors and actresses were having a great time. And it kind of ends the movie with these great shots in New York and cheering and the car driving. And uh, the two songs play in, in those different sequences, uh, uh, whatever, uh, Dustbusters and, uh, I don't know, Heroes in, in, I can't remember the other song. Uh, uh, but, but in, in, yeah, that's that's the end of the movie. And I think I've read a lot of stuff about uh, Dustbusters in the past. It was, uh, let's see, though, I'll just go through some stuff. Uh, it was uh, written by, it was directed and produced by uh, Ivan Reitman, written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, uh, starring them, uh, well, we, we know that. Uh, uh, Aykroyd originally conceived the project for himself and uh, John Belushi, uh, them uh, busting dust through time and space, and Ramis, and uh, he rewrote the script uh, after Belushi visited the big farm. And uh, Raymond also said the original version is not financially practical. 
It was released June 8th, 1984. Positive reviews. Grossed $242 million in the U.S. and $300 million almost worldwide. Uh, it was nominated for Best Visual Effects and Best Original Song. AFI ranked at 28th out of 100 years of laughs. Uh, 100, you know, uh, it uh, was selected for the preservation of the National Film Registry. And it had uh, different animated series of video games in the 2016 reboot. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the development we kind of went through. Pre-production, we went on to casting. Uh, John Candy was also in it, uh, possibly. Uh, Louis Tully was originally conceived as a conservative man in a business suit to be played by Candy. But Moranis instead portrayed Lewis as a geek. Uh, the dozers were originally supposed to come in the form of Evo Shandor, uh, unremarkable man in a suit played by Paul Rubens. Uh, but that ultimately went to uh, Slavita Jovan and the voice provided by Patty Edwards. Uh, According to Ernie Hudson, an earlier version of the script had his character in a larger role with an elaborate backstory as part of the Air Force. Uh, he was excited and took the job for half his usual salary, but his role was reduced because uh, Reitman said the studio wanted to expand Murray's role. Uh, but he could, So he was a little bit let down. Uh, I think he was just, he, I think he was a great character. He added a lot of humanity and excitement from the outside. And actually, he's like, he plays this key thing with the mayor because he says, this stuff's real. So he speaks for the audience. Uh, it was filmed in Manhattan in October 20, 19, 1983, uh, Columbia, uh, and, uh, they they didn't want to be identified at Irving Bank, uh, uh, the in Tribeca, Fifty Five Central Park West, uh, other Manhattan, New York Public Library, Columbus Circle, Waldorf Astoria Hotel, Tavern on the Green. Uh, locals didn't like it, uh, but, but uh, they had they had one night to dress the street in one neighborhood. Uh, yeah, so there was a lot of people that weren't happy. Uh, Aykroyd ran into science fiction writer Isaac Asimov, uh, who Aykroyd idolized, uh, and Asimov was not happy uh, about the traffic jam. Uh, but then they said uh, infectious energy was everywhere. Upbeat vibes seemed to buoy the production schedule, and they finished two and a half days earlier, which we could kind of see that, like... Uh, uh, I think it was a love letter to New York and New Yorkers. Uh, that's uh, when we came down covered in marshmallow. There was crowds. That, yeah, that's like the end of the movie. Uh, some things were filmed in Burbank, Los Angeles Central Library, Biltmore Hotel. Uh, so that's it. Critical response was good. Ebert, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars out of four. Uh, movie is an exception to the rule that big special effects can ruin a comedy. And it's provided many quotable lines. So that's a little bit about uh, that. I just wanted to look in in 1984, though, because uh, it had it like, uh, like I was like, oh, who's what movies came out in 84? Other than this, and ends up it was a quite a year for film. Here's some of the Sunday movie or summer movies. This is from IndieWire. Uh, from their staff, June June, June 5th, uh, 2014. Uh, let's see, uh, let's see, June 8th, uh, Ronald Reagan went to a London Celtics beat the Lakers, uh, pressure like Petty at the biggest jackpot, uh, time after time, time after time, oh, Dustbusters and Dremlins, another movie about, uh, uh, it's just Dremlins, I don't know, they both came out. That was a week after Once Upon a Time in America, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Fun, uh, then followed by Karate Kid and Top Secret. So here's the, like, their 30. Like, Bolero was a Bo Derek movie. I don't know that one. Cannonball Run 2, I definitely saw that on uh, 
um, more than a few times on HBO, and I started uh, the late Burt Reynolds. Uh, best best uh, defense, I never heard of that one. Uh, Eddie Murphy and uh, Dudley Moore in it. Uh, C-H-U-D, I've seen that. I think I've seen that movie. Breaking, I've definitely seen Breaking 2. Pretty sure I've seen Breaking. Uh, Sheena. Uh, that was Tanya Roberts' movie I'm unfamiliar with. Rhinestone, that's a Sylvester Stallone, uh, Dolly Parton. Uh, not familiar with that one either. Oxford Blues, I remember, I don't think I saw this one, but I always wanted to. It was uh, a solo vehicle for Rob Lowe, who had just broken out big, uh, trying to win over the woman of his dreams. Uh, so Conan, Conan, the buddy, buddy, I definitely saw that also. Uh, cause, uh, I think Grace Jones was in that James Earl Jones. Uh, I think, or maybe that was the uh, first one. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely saw that Grandview USA. I don't know that one. C. Thomas Howell, Patrick Swayze, Jamie Lee Curtis, Star Trek Three: Search for Spock. I saw that in the theater probably a couple of years later. Uh, but that was a classic. Bachelor Party, before The Hangover and Wedding Crashers. This was a Tom Hanks movie. I definitely saw that because I wasn't supposed to. Uh, and uh, Philadelphia Experiment. I don't think I saw that. Uh, Beach Street. Uh, I don't think I saw that one. That's a breakdancing movie. Uh, then a, uh, movie, uh, starter of, uh, warmth, uh, with Drew Barrymore adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. That was an 84 movie, huh? That's a, a cult classic. I've seen that quite a few times, but not lately. Uh, dreamscape, a tightrope, uh, under the volcano. Still, okay. So some of these, I just don't know. Uh, Red Dawn. Oh boy, did I see that movie a few times. Uh, another classic, Purple Rain. Oh boy, uh, Muppets Take Manhattan. Now we're talking, uh, uh, Streets of Fire. I don't know what that one is. Uh, yeah, I don't know that if I've seen that one. Uh, The Natural, that was a very famous, The Bounty. I think I read that book. I don't think I've seen the movie. Last Starfighter. Oh, boy. That was another one i seen. That was a great one. When I was a kid. Revenge of the Nerds. I would have thought that was like an 82 movie, but uh, definitely, uh, I mean, I've seen that movie and love it. 16 Candles. Holy mackerel. That came out May 4th. Uh, Top Secret. I would have thought this came out in like 90. Is a parody of spy movies. I guess I'll have to rewatch it. Uh, I really thought it came out uh, much later, uh, but it was made by the Zucker brothers, uh, who made Airplane and a ton of other great, uh, uh, great movies. Karate Kid came out in June twenty second. Wow, uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Fun, which was the first PG thirteen movie. Uh, then, uh, Dremlins, uh, uh, that was, uh, that's a classic, Dustbusters, and then Once Upon a Time in, uh, uh, America, and this is a Sergio Leone movie, Once Upon a Time in the West is like, uh, uh pretty much like a Western classic, uh, and I don't think, I, I must have to, I, if I've watched this, it's been a long, long, long time. It's headed to Blu-ray, or maybe it came out on Blu-ray already. Uh, so definitely worth checking out. Okay, and I just wanted to run. I guess I won't run through the rest of the movies. That's a pretty good list. But there's a lot of other great ones. I'll, I'll include the link. But listen to this Billboard uh, year-end Hot 100 for 1984. When Doves Cry by Prince, What's Love Got to Do with It? Tina Turner. Say, 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 Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson, Footloose by Kenny Loggins. Uh, there is a, a Spotify playlist for this. I looked it up. Uh, Against All Odds, Take a Look at Me Now, Phil Collins. Uh, Jump, uh, Van Halen. Hello, Lionel Richie. Hello, Lionel Richie. 
Owner of Lonely Heart, yes. Uh, Ghostbusters, uh, or Dustbusters by Ray Parker Jr. Karma Chameleon, Culture Club. Missing You, John Waite, All Night Long, uh, Lionel Richie. Let's Hear It For The Boy, that's my karaoke song, for real. That's the song I do in karaoke. It's Denise Williams, Dancing in the Dark, Bruce Springsteen. Girls Just Want to Have Fun, Cindy Lauper, The Reflex, Duran Duran, Time After Time, Cindy Lauper, A Jump for My Love, The Pointer Sisters, Talking in Your Sleep. This is the first song I don't know uh, off the top of my head. Uh, Self by the Romantics, Self Control by Laura Branigan, Let's Go Crazy by Prince and the Revolution, Say It Isn't So, All in Oats, Hold Me Now, Thompson Twins, Joanna, Cool in the Gang. I just called to see, can you believe this? Uh, I just called to say I love you, uh, Stevie Wonder. Somebody's keeping an eye on me, Rockwell. Break My Stride, uh, Matthew Wilder. 99 Found Balloons or whatever, Nina. I Can Dream About You, Dan Hartman. I don't know that one either. The Glamorous Life by Sheila E. Oh, Sherry, uh, Steve Perry. Uh, stuck on you, Lionel Richie. He had a good year. Holy cow. I guess that's why they call it the blues. Elton John, Shebop, uh, Cindy Lauper, Borderline, Madonna, uh, Sunglasses at Night, Corey Hart. I'll just do the top 50. Eyes Without a Face, Billy Idol. Here Comes the Rain Again, Eurythmics, Uptown Girl, Billy Joel. That was a song for one of our dance recitals. Uh, Sister Christian, I used to sing that to some of the nuns in middle school and get in trouble. Uh, Night Ranger, Drive the Cars, Twist of Fate, Olivia Newton-John, Union of a Swirly Swirl, Duran Duran, Heart of Rock and Roll, Huey Lewis and the News, Hard Habit to Break, Chicago, uh, The Warrior, Scandal, If You're in My Arms Again, Peebo Bryson, Automatic by the Pointer Sisters. Let the music play. That's by Shannon. I would have guessed that was Sheila E. too. To all the girls I've loved before, Julio Iglesias, Iglesias and Willie Nelson. It still gets better, though. Caribbean Queen, Billy Ocean. Uh, that's all Genesis. Running with the Night, Lionel Richie. Sad songs say so much, Elton John. I Want a New Drug, Huey Lewis in the News. And so the rest of them are on there too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, get in, you know, let me, uh, I'm the dream, I'm the sleep duster here. Uh, good night. Hey, I want to thank everybody for the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Mattatel, uh, boyfriend, uh, love this podcast, got me through many nights, uh, with a lot of stuff. Uh, it's great when I wake up from stuff that wakes me up, helps me back to reality, and then bores me back to sleep. Scoots can be funny at times with his dry humor, which puts me in a pleasant mood to fall asleep. So thank you for that. This is from Crafting, Crafting Pfeiffer. It was one of my favorite rom-cons of uh, 1994, Crafting Pfeiffer. It was one of those, uh, you know, Pygmalion tales or whatever. The best yawns. I think it was Michael, uh, you can't remember who starred in that. Uh, you think the same Dr. McDreamy or whatever was in Crafting Pfeiffer, but then he was in a parental role. It was a real you know, reinvention of uh, maybe a, a new take, uh, slightly different take. Anyway, the best yawns from Crafting Pfeiffer, the reviewer, not the movie. Oh, no, that was Crafting Piper, because that was the name of the young woman in the movie. Anyway, the best yawns. I've been a listener for over a year now. I have to admit that sleeping with Scoots has changed my life. Uh, my brain doesn't have its own off switch, and having a scooter in my ears does the magic I need to fall asleep. Uh, I've been a patron for a while now and would happy, happily, happily continue to be one, if only for the comforting chair episode. If a regular sleep with me doesn't do it, comforting chair always does. Thanks for the sleep scooter. Thanks, uh, crafting. How about this one? Speaking of filmmaking, this is from Francis Autour. Uh, love it, but find the style, style of story that works the best for you. I've been using sleep with me for a few weeks, uh, a few times a week for a couple of years, and I'm also a patron. 95% of the time works great for me. 
but I found some genres of episodes worked better than the others. For example, the TV recaps put me out right away. Yeah, but the ones recorded outside do not, so I avoid them. So when Scoot says, uh, sometimes it takes a few times to work, uh, for me that means uh, finding the style of episodes that works better for you. Uh, UGGY says, so good. Before, before this, I never really wanted to go to sleep. I'd stay up most nights on my phone or playing games, uh, because it could average four to five hours of sleep a night and feel fine until it hit, you know, until it caught up with me. And then I'd sleep for a while. This pattern didn't work for me until this podcast around came around. I had no motive to sleep as I wanted to, uh, you know, make the most of my awake time. Thank you. Thank you. Why? That's a great review, actually. Kind of exposes a different way I can relate to say, to say, oh, I'm not going, you know, I got the other stuff to do. Uh, this one says, huh, three stars. Not a, we don't really get three star reviews often. This is from Hey, it's uh, S to the H, uh, who says the story is nice, but the voice could be a little smoother, in my opinion. Uh, that's, an, that's a balanced way to say it. I love what he's, that he's doing what he loves, though. Uh, thanks, uh, Sam. Yeah, uh, these, these are creaky dulcets. There are smooth voice podcasts. Uh, unfortunately, that's not my territory. Uh, Maddie Zeb, uh, 247 says, uh, 100% works. I always fall asleep before the intro. And, and so they're from the UK. Thank you, Maddie Zeb. Uh, Gus C says, nap fuel. My entire life I had trouble napping, but to my amazement, this podcast puts me straight to sleep. And most other sleep aid audios seem to focus on techniques of relaxation, breathing, etc. And those types don't work that well for me. But this podcast gets to the heart of the issue with the mind. Instead of trying to relax your body, it creates a drone to lull, confuse you, and subdue your monkey mind. Give it a try. Two or three, says Gus. And finally, Travel Bug 006006 says, this really works. At first I was skeptical, but it works every time. I'm asleep within minutes. Uh, so that's everybody. Thank you so much for reviewing the show over on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can do that within your Apple Podcasts app on your phone or on iTunes on your desktop. And I really appreciate everybody does. You can also, if you say, well, Scoot said I already wrote a review, you can actually check whether reviews are useful or not. Uh, and that's helpful, especially getting some of the more newer reviews up because some people see it in the reviews that are most popular are kind of older. Or if a review is just written, you know, people can write negative reviews, but uh, sometimes people write them in this unrelated to the kind, you know, it's just in, in like a, their knee was, you know, JRKing without actually listening to the whole episode or understanding it. Uh, they just said, well, let me listen to this. And, uh, oh boy, it was dissonant from what I expected immediately. And I'm not, you know, so you could say, oh, that review really isn't helpful where this negative review is actually helpful, you know, whatever you wish. But thank you for everybody for doing that. Sleep with Me is a listener-supported show. Uh, listeners support the show directly on Patreon by spreading the word and other means. And they also by supporting the sponsors, you're directly supporting the show. Uh, so thanks to everybody that does that, makes that possible. Remember, Night Vale Presents, you can find all the amazing shows they do. Lots of new stuff happening over at nightvalepresents.com. And uh, what else? Uh, and I feel presents. Um, uh, my mind just uh, went a little fuzzy wuzzy on me. And, uh, oh, well, remember PRX, PRX.org. You can check out everything they're doing there. And next year, let me get you, let me tuck you in a little bit. Uh, oh, airy, airy out. Yeah, get some fresh air. Let me open that window a little smidge or close it. Uh, okay, consider it done. And if you need me, I'll be here. I got uh, 299 other episodes uh, waiting in the queue for you. Uh, good night.